Welcome to the podcast for Movement Church in New York City, a church family seeking a Jesus movement together. In episode three, Pastor Mike Dole discusses the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Hey guys, it's Pastor Mike. I want to thank you so much for joining us on this series on the Holy Spirit. And in this message, I want to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And just to set the stage before we jump in, you know, I believe with all my heart that if the church is going to thrive and win the 21st century for Christ, she's going to have to rediscover and walk in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the supernatural power of God. I'm just absolutely convinced of that. I believe that the church that's going to win the future will be the church that's intellectually sharp and supernaturally empowered. And I think when you look at the Apostle Paul, he was the perfect embodiment of that. You know, Paul's mind was razor sharp, but he was also filled with the supernatural power of God and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And you see, and, and, and I want you to hear this, Christianity is not just ideas. It's not just a creed or a confession or a doctrinal statement or going to church on Sunday morning, though all those things are very important. Christianity is a supernatural encounter with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to repeat that. Christianity is a supernatural encounter with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just talk. It's a spiritual experience. It's a power encounter with the living God of the Bible. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.20, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And I want to share a few verses with you from the New Testament. And look at how much the New Testament talks about the power of God. Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Power. Acts 4.33, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Acts 6.8, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Romans 15, verses 18 through 19. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. And one more, and this is by Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, 4 through 5, and it's one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. Listen to what Paul says. He says, My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And the Greek word that's used here for power is the word dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite from, and it means dynamic power. It means explosive power. It means the kind of power that, that changes things and affects things. And that's the word that's used in the New Testament for the power that we have through the Holy Spirit. And I, you know, I see no reason why this supernatural power is not still available for us today. I don't believe the power ended at the end of the first century. We have the same Jesus, the same gospel, the exact same Holy Spirit that the early church had. And I don't think the book of Acts was just some golden age of church history, but I think it's a picture of how the church is always supposed to be. I believe it's prescriptive. I believe it's normative. I believe it's God's heart for what the church is supposed to look like. Christianity is a supernatural encounter with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the book of Acts shows us, 
And that's what I believe should be our reality today as Christians. And I believe that the same Holy Spirit that helped the early Christians reach their world for Jesus is the exact same Holy Spirit that we need to reach our world for Jesus. And I don't think the 21st century needs the Holy Spirit any less than the 1st century. In fact, I think we maybe need the Holy Spirit more than the 1st century. If anything, we need more of the Holy Spirit's creativity, more of his anointing, more of his power, more of his energy, more of his insight and wisdom and strength than we've ever needed him before. And I think that one of the most convincing proofs for the Christian faith is the power and presence of God. I think that when people experience the power of God in our lives and in our churches, when they encounter the supernatural and the miraculous through their encounter with the Christian faith, I think it's one of the greatest arguments there is for the authenticity of the Christian message and the Christian religion. All right. Well, in this podcast, I'm going to lean pretty heavily on five, five authors, just in the interest of full disclosure. Because honestly, I think they're, they're probably the five best authors that you can read on this particular topic. And so I'm going to give you their names, and then I'm going to give you some books by, the, by, by these guys that they've written if you want to pick them up. So probably the five best guys you can read is uh, Chuck Smith. He was a founder of the Cary Chapel Movement. New Testament scholar Gordon Fee. Theologian Wayne Grudem, Old Testament professor Jack Deere, and pastor and theologian Sam Storms. And here's uh, six books you can pick up. And these are six books that I recommend, and you can get them all on Amazon. And if this subject intrigues you, if you want to learn more about it, I encourage you to pick up these books, and you can go deeper into this, into this particular topic. Uh, the book is, first book is Living Water by Chuck Smith. The second is Surprised by the Power of the Holy Spirit by Jack Deere. The third is Paul, the Spirit and the People of God by Gordon Fee. The fourth is Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. And that's just a big systematic theology book. It's more like a, like a textbook or a reference book. It's a little hard to read, but it's an excellent resource to have. A fifth book is The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts. That's just an outstanding book. It's very easy to read. It's very user-friendly. It kind of covers a lot of ground. And then lastly, Practicing the Power by Sam Storms, which is Sam's latest book on the gifts and power of the Holy Spirit. All right, so if, that, so if this subject intrigues you, go on Amazon, pick up those books, and you're not going to go wrong reading those guys. All right, well, let's jump in. Well, there's a bunch of things I want to establish before we even talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that I want to say is that all the spiritual gifts are still available. We are at Movement, and, uh, you know, and, and me as a pastor— we are what theologians call continuationists, okay? And that word comes from continue, continue. So we believe that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit have continued to this day. We believe that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we see in the New Testament that are for believers are still available for this day, that they continue to this day. Now, there were some things that only the apostles can do and it ended with them, but we, but we believe that everything else is still available, but there are some churches and pastors that are called cessationists. They believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased, and that's where the word comes from. And probably the most famous cessationist of our time is John MacArthur. Now, I love John MacArthur. I think he's an outstanding Bible teacher. He's one of the best, if not the best, Bible teachers in America today. But when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I just think that John MacArthur is dead wrong. And he believes in those who believe like him believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit ended at the end of the apostolic era, that once the New Testament was finished, 
that there were no more gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I just think that's absolutely wrong. I don't think that's true at all. We believe that all the gifts and power of the Holy Spirit are still available for today. I love what Jack Deere writes in this book, Surprised by the Power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Jack writes. He says, No one ever picked up the Bible, started reading, and then came to the conclusion that God was not doing signs and wonders anymore and that the gifts of the Holy Spirit had passed away. The doctrine of cessationism did not originate from a careful study of the Scripture. And I totally agree with Jack. Sam Storms, in his book, The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts, writes, and listen to what Sam writes. It's a pretty strong statement. He says, To reject spiritual gifts, to turn from this immediate and gracious enabling, is, in a sense, to turn from God. It's no small issue whether one affirms or denies these manifestations of the divine presence. In affirming them, we welcome him. In denying them, we deny him. That's a powerful statement by Sam Storms. What Sam is saying is that, all right, if God is manifesting himself in these spiritual gifts, then to reject these spiritual gifts is to reject God. And then the great D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he was a very famous preacher in the 20th century, and he was called a Calvinistic Methodist. So he is very theologically conservative, very theologically orthodox, and yet he still believed that all the gifts and power of the Holy Spirit were still available for t- today. And listen to what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes. He says, I think it is quite without scriptural warrant to say that all of these gifts ended with the apostles or the apostolic era. All right. Now, the older term for this view is charismatic. The new term is continuationist, but the old term is charismatic. And one of the things about the charismatic movement is that the charismatic movement is so diverse and there's been so much abuse in it that a lot of people don't find that term helpful anymore. So they prefer the new term continuationist. Now, the name charismatic, if you're wondering where that term comes from, it comes from the word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12 that we translate spiritual gifts. And it's the word charisma. Charis is the Greek word for grace, and a ma, M-A, means a tangible expression. So a charisma is a grace gift. Or more literally, a charisma is a concretization of God's grace. It's a concrete, tangible expression of the grace of God. And you know, this is so helpful because, you know, we know that we're saved by grace and we walk by grace. But grace can still be a very abstract concept in our minds. Whereas spiritual gifts are tangible, concrete expressions of the grace of God. When someone prophesies over us or encourages us, we feel God's love in a concrete way. When a worship leader brings us into God's presence through worship and we feel the Holy Spirit, that's a tangible expression of the grace of God. That's a concrete experience of the grace of God. When we listen to a pastor and he preaches a message and it just comes, it just comes right home to us, it just hits us and it's exactly what we needed to hear from God, that's a concrete expression of the grace of God. And so that's what the charismatic gifts are. They're concrete expressions of God's grace. And we need these in the Christian life, that they're tokens of God's presence. So that's where the word charismatic comes from. And that term really was given to a move of the Holy Spirit that happened in the 1960s. It actually began in Southern California, but I'll talk about that in just a moment, okay? Now, you have the charismatic movement, and then you have Pentecostalism, but Pentecostalism is a different movement. Pentecostalism was born out of the Azusa Street Revival that began in Los Angeles in 1906. 
And I'll tell you what, if you ever want to read about something fascinating, read about the Azusa Street Revival. It's just an absolutely fascinating, amazing thing that God did in Los Angeles in the early 20th century. All right, so the Azusa Street Revival began in 1906, and with it was born the Pentecostal movement. And what the Pentecostals believe is they believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a post-conversion experience. So you get saved, and then in some period of time after your salvation, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit as a kind of second blessing or post-conversion experience. And they believe that the proof that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. Pentecostals believe that every Christian, every Christian can speak in tongues, and they believe that every Christian should speak in tongues. And that if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, the proof of that is that you do speak in tongues. And Pentecostalism was a new independent movement that actually ended up birthing its own denominations. And some of the famous denominations that came out of Pentecostalism were the Assemblies of God, uh, the Foursquare Churches, Church of God, Church of God in Christ. And then from, you know, Foursquare came uh, Chuck Smith and the Cavalry Chapel. So that's the origins of those denominations. But the Charismatics are different than Pentecostals. What the Charismatics believe is they believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit too, but they don't believe that the proof of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the gift of tongues. And I'm a Charismatic. I'd, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I didn't receive the gift of tongues. I actually got the gift of evangelism. And whereas Azusa Street was the birthplace of the Pentecostal movement and it began in Los Angeles in 1906, the Charismatic movement actually began in, the, in an Episcopal church of all places in Van Nuys, California in the 1960s. And whereas Pentecostalism was an independent movement that created its own denominations, the Charismatic movement was a movement amongst already established churches and denominations, and it touched just about everybody. The Charismatic movement has touched the Lutherans, the Presbyterians, the Baptists, the Episcopalians, the Methodists, even the Catholic Church. There's a very famous charismatic renewal movement within the Catholic Church. Okay, so you have Pentecostalism, Azusa Street, 1906, the charismatic movement that began in the 1960s in Van Nuys and the Episcopal Church, and then you had one more kind of move of the Holy Spirit in this whole realm of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and it's called the Third Wave Movement. And really it began in the 80s uh, with John Wimber and the Vineyard Movement of Churches. The term third wave was actually coined by C. Peter Wagner, who was a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary. And the third wave, they differ from the Pentecostals and the Charismatics. And how they differ is they believe that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still available for today, but they don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They think that what Pentecostals and Charismatics call the baptism of the Holy Spirit is really just a filling of the Holy Spirit. And they believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at the moment of salvation, that when a Christian gives their life to Christ, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And really, that's the historic view of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's pretty much what all Christians have believed since the beginning. It's really Pentecostals and Charismatics that have kind of a different interpretation of that. So again, the third wave believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, but they don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit but they do believe in a kind of filling of the Holy Spirit, which is this experience that happens after salvation that can be very powerful and very moving. And so where does movement fit in all of this? We're actually, we're charismatics, or, or again, I like the term continuationist better. So that's kind of where we fall 
in those three camps. But we love the Pentecostals, and we love the third wave, and we consider them uh, close brothers, you know, family. All right. The second thing that we need to establish is that everyone gets a spiritual gift. One of my spiritual heroes used to say, everybody gets to play. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, he says, to each is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So spiritual gifts are not just for super Christians or spiritual elites. Everybody gets a gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, will everybody speak in tongues? No. Will everybody get all the gifts of the Holy Spirit? No. I think that what happens is the Holy Spirit, he just sovereignly distributes his gifts to people as he sees fit. Um, I do believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I do believe it's an experience after salvation. And I don't really want to talk about it in this message, but I do believe that Christians can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, they're given a gift, a spiritual gift. All right. But the implication of all of this is that all the spiritual gifts are available to every believer. And so there's not a second-class Christian. There's nobody that's spiritually inferior. There's no super-Christians. Everybody gets a spiritual gift. And I think that actually you get a spiritual gift when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. All right, the third thing is the Holy Spirit sovereignly distributes his spiritual gifts. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So what's fascinating is that spiritual gifts are not related to character or, or maturity, which is very important to understand because sometimes you'll encounter somebody and they're, they can be very anointed by God. They can have a very spiritual, they can have a very powerful spiritual gift, and yet they don't seem to be a very godly person, or they don't seem to have a lot of spiritual maturity, and it kind of messes with your head. Well, that's because spiritual gifts are grace gifts given by the Holy Spirit, and He distributes them as He sees fit. And sometimes we can think, well, why does that guy have that spiritual gift, or why does that girl have that particular anointing? And you know what? That's that's in the mind of God, and that's based upon God's wisdom and God's will. And so that's, But it's important to understand is that the Holy Spirit sovereignly gives gifts. They're free gifts, and they're not based upon our character or our maturity. All right, the fourth thing we want to establish before we get into the gifts of the Holy Spirit is spiritual gifts vary in intensity and effectiveness. Romans 12, 6, it says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your, your faith. So some people have a really powerful spiritual gift and others a not-so-powerful spiritual gift. You know, a classic example is look at Billy Graham. I had the gift of evangelism, but I don't have a Billy Graham-level gift of evangelism. Billy Graham could literally pack out Madison Square Garden just on the power of his ability as an evangelist. Well, I can't do that. So God gave Billy Graham a very powerful gift of evangelism, and he gave me a smaller gift of evangelism. All right, so spiritual gifts, they vary in intensity and effectiveness, and some people get a really powerful gift of, of, of you know, spiritual gift, and others a not-so-powerful gift. All right, another important thing to realize is that some spiritual gifts are residential and others are occasional. So sometimes a certain person, they, they have a spiritual gift that they always have. You know, God gave me the gift of evangelism, and that's just a gift that's kind of always with me. Or God gives somebody the gift of teaching, and that tends to stay with them. Whereas some people, maybe, sometimes they have the ability to pray for somebody, and they're healed. They can't do it 100% of the time. They don't always have it. It's not always there. Sometimes they get it. Sometimes it's not. And so some gifts are residential, 
you always have them. You can always operate in them, and some are occasional. Sometimes you get it, and sometimes you don't. Or sometimes the Holy Spirit can just temporarily give you a gift. I don't believe I had the gift of healing, but I believe that I could pray for somebody and they would be healed. And if God just sovereignly decided that when I prayed for somebody, he wanted them to be healed, well, in that moment, I would have the gift of healing. doesn't mean I always have it, but it means that you know I had it in that moment. Okay? So some gifts are residential and some are occasional. Some gifts you always have and some you don't always have, or you might just get them once in your life. All right. Sixthly, spiritual gifts are for building up the church and for effective witness in the world. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, 12, he says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. What's the ultimate goal of spiritual gifts? They're not to wow people or be Christian parlor tricks. They're for building up the church and for being an effective witness for Jesus in the world. That's why God gives them. He gives them to us so we can serve others with them, so we can build up other believers. And the seventh thing, and this is the last thing I want to establish before we actually start looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, is we receive spiritual gifts through seeking the Holy Spirit and through the laying on of hands. And we're actually, you know, we're we're to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Sometimes we can think, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't want them so much. No, we should want them. We should want them with everything that we have. In fact, we're commanded in the Bible to pursue spiritual gifts. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.1, Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And again, he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 39, earnestly desire to prophesy. We are to seek after them. And I think there's really two ways that we're to seek after them. One, just in our own personal prayer life, just say, hey, God, give me the gift of prophecy. Give me the gift of healing. Give me words of wisdom. Give me words of knowledge. But another way we can seek spiritual gifts is by actually getting other Christians to, to lay hands on us and pray for us. And it doesn't have to be a pastor. I think that any Christian can lay hands on any other believer. And there's just something special, there's something biblical about laying hands on somebody and praying for them to receive the gifts and power of the Holy Spirit. For some reason, in God's sovereignty and in His will, that's actually the most often way that somebody receives the gifts of the Holy Spirit is by someone else laying hands on them and praying for them. You know, Paul, he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.14, he says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. All right, so those are just seven things I want to establish. And then before we get into the gifts of the Holy Spirit, just I want to give you kind of a quick definition. What are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? The gifts of the Holy Spirit are a spiritual gift given to us by the Holy Spirit to supernaturally do something that I couldn't otherwise do. A spiritual gift is a gift given to me by the Holy Spirit that gives me a supernatural ability to do something that I otherwise wouldn't be able to do. Now, how many spiritual gifts are there? Well, you know, there's all these lists in the New Testament, and I don't think that any one of them is actually definitive. I think when Paul lists them out in 1 Corinthians 12 and in the book of Romans, I don't think they're actually totally exhaustive gifts. There's the... Spiritual gifts that are outlined in the New Testament, but there could be more. There could be 30 or 40 spiritual gifts. But what I want to do is I want to look at some of them that Paul clearly outlines in the New Testament, okay? So the first spiritual gift I want to look at, and we'll go through these pretty quickly. The first one we want to look at is the word of wisdom. Paul mentions the word of wisdom in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. He says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. 
And I like this definition by Chuck Smith. He says, it's an anointing of the spirit that comes upon you in a time of need and gives you the right word to say. I think a great example of this is when they came to Jesus and said, said Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? I mean, that was an unanswerable question, but Jesus gives this flawless answer. He says, render under Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, and under God the things that are God's. And it's this perfectly wise saying. Well, the Holy Spirit can do that for us. We can be in a situation where we just need a supernatural wisdom. We need some kind of insight or discerning that's beyond our ability, and in that moment, the Holy Spirit can actually give that to you supernaturally. A second spiritual gift is the word of knowledge. Again, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. And again, here's another definition by Chuck Smith. He says, It's information given to us spontaneous, it's information given to us supernaturally, knowledge of things that we could not know through natural acquisition or study. You know, a classic example of this is when the woman, uh, when the Samaritan woman meets Jesus at the well in John chapter 4, and Jesus had all this knowledge into her life even though he had never met there before even though he had never met her before and the spirit of god can do that for us he can just give you supernatural knowledge you know one illustration i always use is there's somebody i've known for most of their life and i was having uh lunch with their father one day and i said was this person molested when they were a child and he says yes they were well, you know what? I had no way of knowing that. The Holy Spirit supernaturally gave me that knowledge about this particular person. And that's the kind of thing the Holy Spirit can do with this gift. It's just supernatural knowledge that there's no other way you could have gotten it. This happens sometimes when we're praying for people. God will just give you knowledge and say, hey, did this happen in your life? Or is this something that's going on? And they're like, how do you know? And you say, I don't know. The Lord just told me. There's a gift of faith. And the gift of faith is... In the moment, God can just give you a supernatural faith that's beyond yourself. You know, my favorite illustration of this is in Acts chapter 3, when Jesus heals the man at the gate beautiful. He'd probably walk by this crippled guy dozens and dozens and dozens of times. But on that particular day, God gave him the faith to believe that he could be healed. You know, Peter wasn't going around and just grabbing crippled people and pulling them up to their feet all the time. But in that moment, he just knew that Jesus wanted to heal him. Jesus gave him the faith to do it, and Peter stepped forward with that faith, and he was able to heal that man. The gift of faith, supernatural faith. And oftentimes, I think God pairs the gift of healing with the gift of faith. God gives you the ability to believe that somebody can be healed, and you pray for them, and they are healed. Which leads right into our next spiritual gift, the gift of healing. And the gift of healing, it's just, it's as simple as that. It's, it's, the, it's the ability to pray for somebody, and they're healed. You know, and what's also interesting is that, you know, the apostles didn't pray for everybody to be healed. Jesus didn't pray for everybody to be healed. And so it's not that everyone's going to be healed, but every now and then, you, you know, God gives you the ability or somebody else the ability, and you, and you lay hands on them, and you pray for them, and God heals them. But I do want to tell you, though, you know what? It is in God's heart to heal. Our deepest need is our spiritual need, and God heals us spirit, spiritually when we surrender our lives to Jesus. But God wants to heal us mentally. He wants to heal us emotionally. Sometimes he heals us physically. But God wants to bring healing to every single area of our lives. He wants to heal us and restore us and make us strong. Now, does God always heal people physically? No. Look at the Apostle Paul. He had some kind of thorn in the flesh, and we don't know exactly what that was. 
or is. You know, some Bible scholars think that maybe he has some kind of problem with his eyes. But Paul begged God to heal him of that infirmity, and God said no. He says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. So it wasn't because of lack of faith. It wasn't because God didn't love Paul. It was just in God's plan for Paul's life. It wasn't in his will to heal him. And why does God heal some people and doesn't heal others? Heal others? We don't know. That's just God's will. It's God's plan. And we just, we love God, we honor him, and we rest in his sovereign choices. The gift of miracles, and that's just the ability to, you know, pray and see something miraculous happen. What's also kind of neat is the word for miracles here in the Greek, it literally means the gift of powers, which I just think is interesting. But we see miracles in the life of Jesus. He did all kinds of miracles. He walked on water. He divided the, lo- he divided the loaves and the fishes. He calmed the storm. He turned water into wine. We see it in the life of Paul. Paul was bit by a poisonous snake. He shakes it off into a fire and he doesn't die from it. And miracles, what a miracle is, is God just choosing to override the laws of nature or to suspend the laws of nature or to just, um, you know, step into a situation and, and do what he chooses to do. It's not God breaking the laws of nature or disregarding the laws of nature, but as the creator of the universe, as the sustainer of the universe, as the Lord of the universe, he can choose to override the laws of nature anytime that he wants. And I think when it comes to believing in miracles, really, if you can believe Genesis 1-1, then you can believe anything else that happens in the Bible. If you can believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then you can believe that God can do any kind of miracle in our world today. And oftentimes, people don't, don't believe in the miraculous, honestly, because they don't believe in God. But if you believe in God, the miraculous is totally possible. It's not even that big of a deal. And you say, well, Michael, how come we don't see more miracles happening in Western culture? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with our, our lack of belief in the ability for God to perform miracles. We've been so affected by secular materialism, you know, by the belief that all there is is the material world, all there is is what we can experience with our five senses, all there is is what can be proven, you know, through the scientific method, that we, you know, we, we've become so skeptical about the supernatural that we don't always believe that it can happen. And because of that, we, I think we hinder the Spirit of God's ability to do the miraculous. You know, there's a story in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus goes to this particular village, and it says he could not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. I just believe if we had more faith and we, and we had a greater openness to the supernatural and the miraculous, we'd probably see God do more miraculous things. All right, another spiritual gift is a gift of prophecy. And I like this definition by Sam Storms. It's very simple. He says, prophecy is the speaking forth in merely human words of something God has spontaneously brought to mind. And I love that. that that's such a simple definition. You know what prophecy is? God supernaturally brings something to your mind or he just gives you some kind of insight spontaneously and you share it with somebody else. And you know, and, and we're to desire the gift of prophecy. That's not just some far-off thing that only, you know, special people get. We're all to desire to prophesy. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14:1, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Well, Mike, how does that prophecy come to us? Well, sometimes it's a mental picture, sometimes it's a vision, sometimes it's a word from the Lord. Sometimes it's just an impression you get about something, sometimes it's a particular scripture passage. It's just something that God spontaneously brings to mind and you share it with somebody else and it blesses them. 
But one thing about the gift of prophecy is you do have to practice it. You do have to learn to get better at it, and you've got to learn how to hear the voice of the Lord more clearly. Wayne Grudem, he has a great definition of it. Listen to what Wayne Grudem writes. He says, The words prophet and prophecy were used of ordinary Christians who spoke not with absolute divine authority, but simply to report something that God had laid on their hearts or brought to their minds. And whereas in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, only a few people had the gift of prophecy, in the New Testament, through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, every believer has the ability to prophesy. And not just men, but men and women. In the book of Acts, Philip had five daughters and they all prophesied. But one of the great blessings of the New Covenant, one of the great blessings of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and being part of the New Testament people of God is every single Christian has the ability to prophesy. And we should seek to prophesy. You can lead worship prophetically. You can preach prophetically. You can pray for someone prophetically. Um, you can encourage somebody prophetically. Sometimes when I'm preaching, I just get things, Holy Spirit, you know, I get, thing, I get something or the Holy Spirit gives me something that wasn't in my notes and I share that and that's the best part of my sermon. And oftentimes that's just prophetic. A seventh gift is, is the distinguishing of spirits. And that's just the supernatural ability to discern, you know, if something is demonic, if, if, to discern if it's demonic activity. You know, my best friend at Bible college, Kenny, he had the gift of discernment of spirits or distinguishing of spirits. He just had this hypersensitivity to the spirit world, and he could tell when, when there was demonic activity at play or, or demons were were, you know, trying to demonize somebody. He had this hypersensitivity to the spirit world, and that's the ability to distinguish between spirits. And, you know, I've encountered demonic people. I've encountered, you know, demon-possessed people in New Orleans and in Latin America and in San Francisco, and it's real. And some people have the ability to, you know, determine if something is demonic or not. Another spiritual gift is a gift of tongues. And the gift of tongues is... You know, the Greek word for tongues is glossa, and it literally means the gift of languages. And I think that's a better definition because it sounds less strange. And there's two different types of tongues in the New Testament. At Pentecost, when they began to speak in tongues, those were actual known languages. And it was just a language that they had never learned, and they were praising God in whether it was Persian or Arabic or Aramaic or some language that they had never learned before. And there's another kind of speaking in tongues, which is just a spirit language. And what it is, is it's not a clear language, it's not a known language in our world, but what it is, is when that person is praying in the gift of tongues, it's their spirit communicating directly with God. It's their spirit just bypassing their mind and worshiping God directly. And it's for their own personal edification. I don't have that gift. I know people that have had it, and it really blesses them, and they really enjoy it. But that's what that is. It's not a known language. It's just it's a spirit language. And, but there are some people when they have the gift of tongues, they do speak in a known language. I've heard stories of that as well, where someone prays in tongues and they're speaking in perfect French. Um, so I don't have the gift of tongues, but again, the people I, I know who have it find it very edifying. And so if it's something you want, I encourage you to pray and ask God for it. And the last gift I want to look at is the interpretation of tongues. And that's just as simply as being able to hear a tongue and to be able to interpret it and share the meaning and Paul actually says, you know, that we're not allowed to speak in tongues unless there's an interpretation of tongues. Because if we do that, if everyone's speaking in tongues in a church, then the world's going to think we're crazy. And he's probably right. But hey, I hope this was helpful for you. 
this is really just a really brief sketch and introduction to a really important topic. If you want more information, if you're intrigued, I encourage you to go back to the earlier part in the podcast, find those six books on Amazon, purchase them, do a deep, do a deep dive into it, and look into this for yourself. Just, don't just take my word for it. Read 1 Corinthians 12, read 1 Corinthians 14, get some great resources, and begin to explore it for yourself. And Paul says that we are to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So I challenge you, seek God for all that he has for you spiritually. And if there's a particular spiritual gift or a couple spiritual gifts that he has for you, pursue them until you get them. But I love you so much. Thank you for listening to this three-part series on the Holy Spirit. I hope it was helpful. Let us know if it was. God bless you, and we'll talk to you next time. Have a great day. Thanks so much for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Movement Church NYC to stay up to date with everything that's going on with movement. God bless.